And every person that's full of faith, would you just say amen? Amen. Now, I want us to consider today that uh, gathering together and uh, being in one accord uh, under uh, Jehoshaphat, and you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and as you turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, one of the things that we'll see is that Jehoshaphat was facing some adversaries. He was, he was facing some enemies. And as Jehoshaphat began to face his enemies, there were several things that were happening that, uh, that were beyond their control. And as Jehoshaphat and uh, the people of Judah and Jerusalem were facing their enemies, um, they began to uh, come together. They began to gather together. They began to gather together in one accord. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at uh, from the Old Testament all the way to the New and how a group of people gathered together in one accord and what God did. And uh, we can look even throughout time and we can recognize that at every great move of God, there were a remnant of people who were willing to come together, to gather together and, and to be in one accord, to enter into a time of fasting and into a time of prayer not so much in asking God for what they wanted, but asking God for what he wants. Isn't it interesting today that we're so surrounded uh, with our, even our prayers of praying and asking God to do for us? Isn't that interesting? Um, but, but, but I want to show you something here because God will. That's what he wants us to do. But, but, but there's a priority. And the reason is that because uh, the Bible says that we are not uh, food of the devil's we're not ignorant of his devices. So what happens is that there is an adversary, the enemy, the devil. And what he does is he puts distractions in our way. And there are enemies, just as Jehoshaphat had enemies today, we have enemies. We have adversarial forces. And let me just kind of give you two of those, the world and flesh. Those are two enemies uh, of, of the people of God because the desire for wealth, the desire for fame, the desire for fortune has so much influence in our society today. And uh, what's interesting is that people are becoming so intoxicated by success. And uh, there was, uh, I heard a quote uh, several weeks ago that said, fame has taken the place of going to heaven. And so you can have heaven now if you become famous. And so it's become easy why you can go on YouTube, you can go on uh, and, and get discovered. And you don't have to, you don't need somebody else to represent you. You can represent yourself. Oh, my God. And so when we recognize that, then we see here that there has been a, an environment that has distracted us. You can see family sitting together at, at a dinner table and, and everybody's on their cell phones. And, and it's one thing if it's an emergency, but they're posting where they are on Facebook and Snapchat. And you know, I got to tell you something. Can I just talk to the family today? I got to tell you something. What it is, it is being disrespectful to the person who has given you their time. And you're saying that all of my friends who aren't your friends are so much more valuable of my time right now than you are. And you took your time, drove to where they are, and you're sitting right in front of them, and they will disregard you so that they can talk on their phone. Let the church say amen. Amen. Well, I sense this morning I'm not going to give my many amen, so I'm going to have to ask you from time to time, let the church say amen. amen. So the world, the world is an enemy and an adversary. Let me tell you another adversary, flesh. And so the internet has brought such great influence as we look at even social media, where there's not a discretion. We, the, the spirit of discretion has left or is leaving. 
People post some of the most personal things online. They'll tear their spouse off without saying their word, but everybody that reads it know what they're talking about. Um, and people are full of debt, and then they'll put on social media in, in, in the Bahamas on vacation. Now, how do you know your debtors are looking at that? I'm just saying. And, and, and personal things about their children, about their family, and, and discretion. When discretion leaves, that's, that's knowledge without wisdom. And so what's happening is that um, there's, a, there's a sense to communicate in a very open and transparent way to people that do not even know you that in many ways are plotting against you. So we've got the world as an enemy, as an adversary. We've got flesh as an enemy, as an adversary. I'll give you another way is that um, what about all of these uh, uh, reality shows? How we're, that fame and, and that discretion. Can, can, I, can I just say one other thing? Remember that there was a time where they were fasting in, 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 um, in the Bible? And the Bible says that they, that uh, God says that don't let everybody know that you're, what you're doing. He says, now get up and wash your face and, 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 and take a shower, a bath, comb your hair. You, you know, I just got to say this. There's a representation of us as believers to the world. And many times what we have is that, remember that there was a time where people would go around and their pants would hang right down below their, right way down their legs. I, I saw a guy even like two months ago, he was walking, he was holding them and they were right here. And it's like, dude, if you got to hold them, that means something. He didn't have a belt on. And so what it was is that, um, that there were shoes that were worn with shoestrings in them, but not shoestrings in them. And then the, there was no belt. But that came really from prison because the kids did not have, the people in prison didn't have any belts. They didn't have shoestrings because it was dangerous to them. And that, that, that thing began to drift into the world, into the, into the body of Christ. Okay, so that's one. Let me give you the other one. I got this thing. I love different hairstyles. But I got this thing about people who look homeless and don't comb their hair and say it's ethnic, don't get their hair cut, or don't braid it properly. You know what I'm saying? They just get up and... But how many of you know that if you're representing me and my company, I may not tell you anything, but you're not going to get that promotion. Now... I love that, I mean, I would have different hairstyles and stuff like that if I could. I can only have one. But I'm not talking about styles. I'm talking about just getting up. You got like, uh, car, uh, not cobwebs, but what, what, what do you have that, that cotton, cotton in your hair and stuff. And so we've got enemies, the world and flesh. The world in flesh. And so uh, one of the things that we see here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is that Jehoshaphat sought the Lord for himself. And it's easy for me to get up and minister to you and tell you what you should be doing. But if there's no transparency, if there's no humbling of self, then my words are nothing but vapor with no authority. But I want to share with you that I sought the Lord for myself. And uh, when the Bible talks about missing God, when the Bible talks about uh, being distracted by the cares of the world, about things that happen in life, I believe that all of us, that if we would be uh, transparent and honest with ourselves, that there have been times that we've been distracted by the devices of the enemy. And so have I. And I say to you today that I sought the Lord for myself and what I am sharing with you is not something just for you, but it is something for me as well. So Jehoshaphat, he began to proclaim a fast and he called 
the uh, Judah together in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4. Are you there? Shout, uh-huh. Let's read it together now. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Notice this. They came together to do what? They came together to do what? Seek help from the Lord. Now, notice this. They did not get together to have a prayer meeting to call God to do what, he needed, what they needed him to do for them. They didn't ask God to bless what they were about to do. They just had two simple words, Lord, help. You know, when I read that, uh, it reminded me of growing up in the Baptist church. You know, the preacher would be preaching, and you'd hear, oh, sister, that would say, Lord, help. And uh, it, 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 when I read that, it was like, and there was like some fire that was released when you would hear that. So they got together, and they weren't praying these long, loud prayers uh, of what they wanted God to do in elaborate ways. They just came together and recognized that they could not do anything unless God helped them. And they said, Lord, help. Lord, help. Come on, I want you to say that with me. Lord, help. It was these two words that they said. Verse 5. Let's read it together now. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Notice this. This is interesting. When you hear uh, uh, intercessors pray, those true intercessors pray, one of the two things that they do when they're praying is that they appeal to the character of God and they appeal to the covenant of God. And Jehoshaphat, right here, he's saying that God, it is your faithful name that is at stake. Oh, my God. He says, God, it's your promises that you've made that are at stake. Isn't it amazing that he began to talk about not what it would happen to them, but it was like, God, this is your name that's at stake. This is your promises that you've made that are at stake. Your name is at stake. Look at this. Isn't it interesting? Because Psalm 138, 2 says that he exalted his word above his name. How many of you know that the name of God, it, 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 the name of Jesus is higher than any name that has ever been called. And the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every person named king has to bow. But yet he exalted his word over his name. And what that tells us then is that how God values his word, how he values his word. And so he says that this is about your name, but not only it's about your name, it's about your promise, how God values his promises over your life, over your family, over his church. And so it's not just your family at stake. It's not just the Champion Center. It's not just all the churches in, in the world. But it's when God's name is at stake. Verse 7. Look at this. Let's read it together. Now, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name 
and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. They said that this is all about your name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it. It's about your name, God. It's not about my reputation. It's not about my family. It's not about what other people may say about me. It's what they'll say about you, God. It's about your name. Let's read verse 10 together now. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh my God. Notice this. They say, God, we don't know what to do. Have you ever been at a place where you didn't know what to do? Have you, were you ever going through something and you were wondering, my God, I just don't know which way to go. They said that we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And so, God, our eyes are upon you. Let's read verse 13 together now. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the... Now, notice this. See, everybody came. I want to show you what happens here because, see, there are some battles that God's never uh, chosen for you to fight, but you've been trying to fight them. There are some doors that God has already opened, but you have not seen them. See, the Bible tells us very clearly that if the word is above his name, notice this. Jesus went into the wilderness to fast as he began to pray and declare the word of God. You know what's interesting is that the Bible says that as he continued to declare the word of God, every word that preceded, the progressive word of God that comes out of the, that's how we should live. As he went in and began to talk about the word of God. Isn't it amazing? The Bible says that when he left the wilderness, the devil left him alone. There comes a point in your life where the devil ought to lead you, leave you alone. That you shouldn't always be fighting. You shouldn't always be struggling. You shouldn't always be at disagreement and odds. But there should be a point in your life where there should be peace on every side. So let's read it here. Verse 14 together. Now, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. The spirit of the Lord, look at this here, spirit of the Lord. Say the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord came upon somebody that were part of the assembly. The spirit of the Lord. Notice, it didn't come on Jehoshaphat. It did not come on another elder. It did not come on. It came on someone that was there, who there was such a freedom in the atmosphere that there was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're out of order, I'm the leader. No, the Holy Ghost was in the lead. And people were following the Spirit of God. See, see, when, when, when the Spirit of God is moving and there are no isms and schisms, it's at freedom. And God sets the atmosphere for miracles, signs, and wonders. Look, we can see it happening in the early 1900s on the, at the, at the uh, Azusa Street. Azusa Street was a powerful move of the Spirit in California. And you know what's amazing is that they came day after day after day after day. And many of the generals that you hear were on Azusa Street. 
And, and, and what would happen is that they just gather together to, to worship God in purity and with a great heart. And as they gathered together, do you know what's amazing about that? Sometimes they didn't even know who was going to bring the message, but God would speak a message. Healings would take place. And, and, and Seymour uh, was, a, was a one-eyed guy uh, who was, 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 was leading that. And, and the power of God was there. People would come from all over. The purity of God was there. The power of God. His name was at stake and his promises to heal, to deliver, and to set free. And he was showing himself strong. Azusa Street was powerful until there was a fighting on the inside. And do you know that uh, there was a administrator who got upset at, at Seymour and, and, and that started turmoil on the inside of the move and the power of God left. Isn't that the same thing that took place in Acts chapter 6, 7? The church, the Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse 16, that every time that they prayed, God answered every one of their prayers. But then in Acts chapter 6 and 7, that there were people that wanted to have the reputation but didn't have the character, Ananias and Sapphira. The first, the first disagreement in the church was a racial disagreement between the Jews and the Hellenists and the Gentiles. And what's amazing about that is that no longer were all their prayers answered. Why? Because they weren't together in one accord. We've got to read that again, and I'm going to show you something here. Let's read verse 14 again. Let's read it together now. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel as he stood in the assembly. This is what happened. Look at this. This is what happened at Pentecost. They were together together in one place, and the Spirit of the Lord came as a rushing mighty wind, and power came. Power came. This is what happened in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. When the Bible tells us that they were ministering unto the Lord as they fasted and prayed. And the Holy Spirit said, now separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to do. So what were they? They were gathering together and they were in one accord. So they waited on the, on the Lord. And I want to ask you this. How do you do your business? How do you conduct the things? I mean, how should we as a church sit around in meetings, think about some things, come up with great ideas? or we think great ideas, and then just begin to run on them? Or should we wait on the Lord and allow him to speak? So how many of you know that we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit, that we need the guidance of the Holy Ghost, and we need to be led by the Spirit of God? We need to have a revelation through the Holy Spirit, and this is what happened to them. When they said, Lord, help us, we don't know what to do. Guess what? The Spirit of God came down. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Spirit of God fell in this place today in a way where what you were struggling with, that it was all of a sudden solved, where you did not know the revelation of God began to speak to you. Let's read verse 15 through 17 together. Now, he said, listen, King Jehovah. Now, who said that? The one whose spirit, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon so he's beginning to talk beyond his own intellect or knowledge. He began to talk with a revelation from the Spirit of God. Let's read it, verse 15, together. Now, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, that they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerun. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. <coughs> Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, 
Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now notice this detailed instructions. He gave them a revelation, but it didn't come through lifting a book down off the uh, shelf in the library. It did not come from sleeping late. It did not come from watching reality shows or cable television. It, didn't, it, it did not come from just uh, hanging around other people just to be doing it. But it came from a revelation from God when they were all together in one accord at a time of fasting prayer. And how many of you know that he said that you go out before this army and you stand? You won't have to fight. But you watch the deliverance of God. How many of you know that that took some faith? I mean, it takes some faith to go and stand in front of your enemy and say, I'm not going to fight him. God's going to fight him for me. How many of you know that that needs to be God? That needs to be God because if God doesn't do it, then they're dead. If God didn't inspire it, then it becomes to no effect. And so notice this. It took a lot of faith for them, isn't it? to stand there and isn't it interesting to know that when God instructs you in doing some things and he's going to do it rather than you that you become a spectator to his goodness you become a spectator you begin you just begin to look in on him and 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 I believe that if, if, if that's what God's speaking to you today that's a word for someone in here today that you need to stand and watch God do what you can't do yourself you don't have to instigate it just spectate it verse 18 Let's read it together now. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. When they got the word, before they ever saw the evidence of it, they worshiped, they praised God, they declared who he was. I mean, the Bible says that they just began to worship and fell down in worship. And then some of the Levites, the Bible says, the, the, the uh, Kohathites and Korahites were worshipers. The only thing that they could do is to give God some praise. As, they, as God would move, they would show how much they appreciated. I want to tell you something. This is very important. Listen to what I'm about to say. One test of whether or not a movement is of God is does it inspire deeper worship? That's how we know a move is from God, that it inspires worship at a deeper level. So we've got to ask ourselves, how did the story end? How does the story end then? Now let's see here in verse 20. Now let's see how the story ends. Let's read it together. Now, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Stop right there. Before they ever saw the evidence, he says, you got to have faith in God. You have to have to have faith in what God has prophesied over us. How many times have we heard a word from God and we've just said, mm, okay, we'll see. But faith is not, we'll see. Faith has fully been persuaded that you'll see what you can't see. And he said these words, he says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in his prophets. And, and, and when you have faith in God and what he has said, then you will be successful. Verse 21, together now. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures. Now, isn't this cool? Jehoshaphat says, hey, you go out front in this battle. 
And, and the people go, no, uh, let the one who prophesied go out front. No, guess what? The worshipers began to lead the way. The worshiper, he inhabits the praise of his people and God lives in the midst of when he can come face to face with us and then all of a sudden he's with us and you know what these worshipers led, they, they led, they led, they led this thing and as they led in the middle of this army, in the beginning, in the front of this army, they began to sing and they began to praise. What great faith that is. Let's read it and see how the story ends. Verse 21 or 22 together. Now, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were... Wait a minute, you got to stop right there. See, it happened when? It happened when? When they began to praise. It happened when they began to worship. But you know what? When you're facing something, your praise and your worship cannot come out unless you first have stood in faith. Because why? You're not distracted by the things of the world and you're not distracted by the flesh. Those two enemies that I talked about earlier. What the only thing is that your, your eyes are upon him, not upon them. And as you sing and as you worship and as you magnify him, God caused the enemies to be defeated. This, this is what's interesting though. How were they defeated? Verse 23, let's read it together now. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They, the three came together to fight against God's people. But then check this out. Two of them got together and began to fight to destroy the other one. But that wasn't enough. Look at the next here. After they had finished slaughtering men from Seir, they... They began to kill and fight one another. If you think about that, isn't what the enemy likes to do to families? He likes to turn husband and wives against each other. Isn't that what the enemy likes to do to the church? He likes to, 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 to turn this group against this group. And they began to fight against each other and they destroy one another. We are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And when we come together, gather together, being in one accord, God all of a sudden began to destroy what has been trying to destroy you. God all of a sudden begins to release what's been trying to hold you back. And you don't have to always pray that he does this and he does this and he does this. If you connect up with the Spirit of God in one accord, God began to see that his name is at stake and his promises are at stake. And it's not just meaningless worship where we're coming in as a ritual, but it's a movement that has caused a deeper level of worship. And when that happens, God's name is on display. And his promises become manifest in your life, your children's life, your family's life, church, city, country, 